Hello, and welcome to episode number eight of the Engineering Quality Control Podcast, a podcast focused on helping engineering professionals ensure that their projects are of the highest quality. The show will provide strategies and concepts to help you ensure that quality control is addressed on all of your projects. I am your host, Brian Wagner, a licensed professional engineer. In this episode, we interview Karen Berlingame, principal at Grimm and Parker Architects, where we talk about things across the architecture realm, how they interact and influence engineering, how working together and communicating is so important. Let's just jump right in. So I'd like to welcome now to the show today, our guest, Karen Berlingame, Principal at Grimm and Parker Architects. Karen, welcome to the Engineering Quality Control Podcast. Thank you. It's good to be here. It's great to have you here with us today. Can you share a little bit with the audience about your background and yourself and what the role as Director of Quality Control for an architecture firm kind of comprises itself of? I went to University of Maryland. I got a uh, BS in architecture there. Then I started working after that uh, for a year or so, went back part-time to school, started working on my master's degree. And at that point, I switched jobs. I started working at Grimm and Parker, and I've been there ever since. So it's been 33 years. While at Grimm and Parker, mostly I've been working on educational uh, projects and kind of worked my way up into uh, project management. And then I always enjoyed doing QC on my own or other projects. And when one of my school projects went on hold, I took that opportunity to sort of change directions and fill a need that we had for QC at Grimman Parker. For me, I think of the role as requiring sort of three main processes. There's sort of the obviously quality control piece where you're tracking projects and doing document review, but there's also sort of office standards. So curating and developing offered standard templates or standard details and resources. And then the third part is sort of the mentoring and teaching piece where you're sharing knowledge and lessons learned uh, across studios and making sure that communication happens. Because there's such a wide range. I know you're familiar a little bit with some of the framework things that I've talked about as far as coaching, mentoring, teaching, learning from your experiences in order to benefit the next project. I think that's why we've aligned so well. We've worked together in the past on different projects. Green Parker has more than 100 employees. So you have a diverse range of services that range from schools, higher ed, senior centers, libraries, commercial, and the list just goes on. What type of systems or standards have you established for quality control? across that wide range? Our approach is based on three things, sort of doing it right the first time, never make the same mistake twice, and two heads are better than one. So we've developed a pretty detailed uh, quality control manual that includes our sort of process and procedures, as well as a lot of detailed checklists, a pretty detailed coordination checklists so we can coordinate between disciplines. We've also, as I mentioned earlier, we've developed um, standard templates and standard details as a way of sort of embedding good practice and knowledge into the documents from the get-go. 
And then we also have a project guidelines manual that sort of assists in the management part of the project. We also conduct sort of a monthly lessons learned session where we can share knowledge across studios and those lessons learned sort of work their way back into our standard details and into the QC checklists. So standard details, I know we've run into a lot of that on civil jobs where we take information from essentially one job to the next. Do you ever have trouble with the save as mentality of, oh, I did it on this job. I'm just going to use the same detail. I know you say you have the templates and the base information, but is there a way that you've learned to combat some of that, like I call save as issues from previous jobs? That's always a danger of sort of, you know, you have that information and you can easily throw it into a set of drawings and it makes it look more complete, but you don't necessarily take that extra step to go back in and, and update it per your project. So one thing that we do is we, try to put some notes in those standard details that have little cues like, hey, make sure you review this with your structural engineer and, you know, adjust as necessary and things like that. So if you can put some notes about the important things about that detail or, you know, check this kind of notes, that helps a little bit with that. And those are usually in red. So hopefully people notice them and and then that, that coordination happens. So I think that's an excellent idea. I'm thinking about all I should do on some of my standard details now to add things to make sure that when it gets to me as quality control, if it's still there, I know they didn't look at it, right? Right. <laughs> now, I know you were a wizard at Bluebeam and some of the things that I've seen from you as far as reviewing quality control, but what kind of technology are you using to assist? And is it just you or is it across the disciplines and the studios and the platforms? Bluebeam is the main thing. Uh, I love Bluebeam. It's a great collaborative tool and you can, everyone can be in the session at once and you can be marking things up and, and your team can be picking up the markups. And we've used that where we've had it just the internal team, but we've also used it where we've invited consultants into the session and sometimes even owners and contractors. And that way, the consultants can, you can see them marking it up, that they're incorporating the markups, they can ask questions and you can respond and things like that. So that's probably the main tool. Another thing that I've been doing uh, more recently is getting design team to create a Enscape executable file. So basically it allows me to walk through a rendered model of the building inside and outside. And so I can look at some of the complex areas and try to figure out what's going on and if it's working you know, or not working. So that's another great tool. And then obviously Navisworks and, and running clash detection on the Revit models. The system that you have in place, I mean, I'm sure it's been years that you've put it together and compiled it and tweaked it and added to it and changed it and evolved with technology and with the types of projects that you're working on. You said that you have a pretty comprehensive manual created, but is there any extra onboarding process that you have? And I think back to when I started in the industry, it was right at the tail end of hand drafting. Everything was done on Mylar and by hand. And I remembered hearing these stories of people that had to letter for weeks before they were allowed to actually letter on the plans because they needed to get their lettering approved. Do you have any processes in the work that you're doing? I know we've done it with like interns before where we help them learn CAD and the 
platforms and some of our standard things. But when you bring in an experienced person, especially, what kind of steps do you take to get them onto the Grim Parker way? And then at the same time, are you taking information from them, maybe from their experience from somewhere else? Mentoring is obviously really important, regardless of how many years of experience um, someone has. So new staff typically have a mentor to help them learn Grim and Parker's standards and processes and procedures. I also get to interact with everyone in those monthly lessons learned presentations that we talked about. So that's where we talk about issues that are coming up in the field, on our projects under construction, where we might review current codes, or we might talk about standard details or whatever issue kind of rises to the top that needs to be discussed. And I also try to, as far as the quality control piece, stress that like this QC manual that we have is not something that you just kind of interact with when you make a submission and you need to look at a checklist. Like really you can use that as a task list as you're doing the design documents. And hopefully that helps the do it right the first time mentality and not making those mistakes. And like, it's meant to be a document that is just always accessible in there and to be using and incorporating into your kind of workflow. That kind of delves into this next question that I have for you is because we worked on some school projects and some of the biggest projects that I've ever personally worked on because of the complexities of schools to me is its own little beast because you have to keep the school open while you're doing renovations or whether you're building a new school on the same property. There's a lot of logistical things that come into play. And you always impressed me like in our team meetings and our project reviews and, and from being the civil on those projects, you always seem to know a lot about my job. Maybe you didn't know what, exactly what I was doing or why I did it, but you always asked really good questions and you always challenged me to produce that really good work on that first time and not try to put it off. Sometimes there's a mentality of we'll deal with it later or we'll deal with it at construction and it always burns us. And I always try to avoid that, but I'm just curious about how you got to that point in your career, maybe a few key things that you've done throughout your career, because yes, you have the architecture background, but you know a lot about civil, you know a lot of probably about structural, you know a lot about MEP that you've gained over the year, but is there any specific things that you've done perhaps that you would recommend to others? So thanks for that. And uh, really it's kind of two things. First, uh, at Grimma Parker, Grimma Parker has always been interested and invested in creating well-rounded architects and developing well-rounded architects. So exposing you to all facets of design and all phases of a project. And I think that's really important. And also kind of having that mentor that we talked about to help guide you through the process. And really the second thing is just experience. Years of working on projects on a team and then eventually managing projects and coordination with consultants is a big part of uh, project management. And the other thing is that in my opinion, every project manager should be reviewing pretty detailed the set of documents throughout the phases of the project. And in addition to getting that second set of eyes on a, on a peer review. And so just by going through those processes, you obviously learn a lot about the other disciplines. And as far as the meetings, the regular project meetings with the design team are super important to 
keep everyone kind of on the same path and coordinated and, and addressing issues as they come up. And I don't like long meetings that are unproductive. So I always have an agenda and sort of a desired outcome that hopefully makes the meetings go uh, smoothly and efficiently and like uh, get something accomplished. I learned a lot in my experience working with you on schools in a lot about architecture. Back in high school, I wanted to be an architect, but then everything I was exposed to was just houses. And I'm like, I just don't really want to just do houses my entire career. And I got interested in civil and that's the path I've been on for 20 years now. But if I would have been introduced to schools and some of the architectural work that you're doing, I probably would have went that way, maybe instead of getting into civil, but I'm not sure. So now I have a question for you because sometimes when engineers are working with architects, it can be challenging because there's not necessarily clashes, but there's different goals sometimes. I've been working with an architect on a job that has consistently keeps changing the building footprint on me. Every time we have a progress meeting, we're still on SD, we're still very early in the process, but the building keeps changing. It went from 40,000 square feet to 70,000 square feet. Now we're trying to get it back down to like 60,000 square feet. As an engineer, do you have any advice for me in working with them to help them see the challenges and the impacts because it significantly changes my site every time it changes. Rework is a big problem as far as being able to accomplish a project efficiently and make a profit and do all that. So probably the most important thing and one thing that I've been talking about lately with folks here is that at the beginning of a project, sort of having one a kickoff meeting for the project to sort of having early, pretty early on building systems review where you get the owner, the contractor, if they're on the team and the consultants, and you're talking about not just, you know, mechanical systems, but you're talking about all the systems for the project. So you're talking about the stormwater systems and, you know, what the exterior envelope is going to be and kind of try to get buy-in on all of those pieces as early as possible. And so everyone's on the same page and things aren't changing down the road, hopefully. And then the last part of that is sort of if you can get also the design team and the owner in a room in the beginning and talk about planning and scheduling and, you know, make it really clear what everyone needs to get to the different deliverables throughout the project. So I need this information by then in order to be able to figure out the stormwater so I can submit this at this time so we can get approval by this time and things like that. So if you can hopefully sit down at a table together and everyone knows what I need this building footprint to be finalized by this point so that I can do X, Y, and Z so I can submit for permit. And if you have that planning session with the whole team versus the architect kind of working or the contractor, you know, on their own and saying, okay, this is the schedule. If you have that process where you do it together, then you can get buy-in and it's very clear what everyone needs at, at different points. So I think that maybe is a good way to sort of accomplish that. So communication, that's what we keep coming back to as communication. Right. And I understand like doors may move or things may change as you go through the process or move this bump out or change this little thing, but not significant changes or as much as possible, or at least as long as they're communicated through the process of this is the problem that we're having. 
Now, before we transition to the power of experience kind of segment, do you have any advice for listeners who out there may be considering a career similar to yours, bouncing between engineering and architecture or a different aspect of engineering within the architecture realm, like MEP or fire protection or electric or those kind of things? The big thing is just getting the experience and getting gaining knowledge. And, you know, you can't just do that by uh, staying in the office and working on drawings for years and years and years. I think the most important piece is like getting out in the field, doing construction administration on some projects. And when you do CA on projects, then you're interacting with the other disciplines. You're seeing the ductwork going up when the building is getting constructed and you're seeing the stormwater systems getting installed and you're seeing all those pieces to come together and, and getting exposed to it in a way that you wouldn't by just working on the drawings and looking at consultants' drawings. So I think that's the most important piece. Doing QC, I think, requires a certain approach. You need to be able to kind of inspire and mentor people. You're going to have to point out errors to people, but you need to do it in a way that's not negative, that's seen as like a collaborative thing, uh, explaining why it doesn't work and maybe how you fix it. So you have to be approachable and you want your coworkers to be comfortable coming to you with questions and issues and actually want them to want you to review the drawings. <laughs> As we talked about earlier with QC, like it's not just about reviewing documents. It's also about setting up these processes and standards and procedures for quality documentation. And it's about teaching and sharing knowledge across the studios in the firm. So I want to transition to the power of experience segment. And the goal of this is to share something that you may have wished that you knew or somebody that told you something some point in your career that just turned a light bulb on and maybe just went, wow, that's something that I can use right now. So I want to give you the opportunity to share with the listeners something that you have benefited from at some point in your career that maybe they can. So can you tell us one thing that you wish that you maybe knew earlier or something that you use and that leveraged early in your career that's benefited you for years now? When I was an undergrad in architecture school, one semester I had a studio that I didn't do great in. And at the end of that studio, my professor told me that maybe I should consider a field other than architecture. I obviously ignored him. I stuck to my path and, and here I am. And at the time, I don't think my professors really talked about the variety of opportunities in a career in the architecture profession. Like few of us are great at every different aspect of the profession. There's a lot of things that go into it, whether it's design or project management or detailing or sustainability or doing CA or presentations. You kind of have to, I guess, figure out what you're good at and not only what you're good at, but what you're passionate about and do it. I appreciate that. And I do totally agree with you about just following your passion. And sometimes it's nice to hear that word of encouragement from an experienced professional. As we close, I appreciate your time and I want to make sure that I'm courteous of it. How is the best way to get a hold of you or contact you? We'll put it in the show notes, but is there a best way for a listener to get a hold of you if they wanted to follow up with you? I have a profile on LinkedIn, so you can get in touch with me that way. Also, you can check out our website, uh, grahamandparker.com, 
and you can learn about me and our firm in that way as well. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate your time. Thanks, Brian. It's been great talking to you. Please remember that you can find all of the show notes for every episode at engineeringqualitycontrol.com. For this episode, look for episode number eight. There you'll find a summary of the key points that were discussed in today's episode, as well as links to how to get a hold of Karen and learn more about Grimm and Parker Architects. Until next time, friends, I wish you the best in all of your engineering endeavors. Mm-hmm.